hard-hitting medical truth, cutting through conflict and confusion to the understanding you're searching for. Join Dr. Peter McCullough, world-renowned medical expert and practicing physician for this edition of the McCullough Report. Your life may depend on it. Let's get real, let's get loud on America Out Loud Talk Radio. This is the McCullough Report, and I'm Dr. Peter McCullough, bringing back the music segment. We have Miss Tanya DeYoung, Casta Slawa, in Driftwood, the musical 2023. This is a remarkable story, and also a very personal one for the singer and actress, Miss Tanya DeYoung, who I met myself in Australia. Wonderful, talented woman. The story details the incredible journey of Tanya's real grandmother, Slawa Duldig, who Tanya plays alongside the sculptor husband, Carl Duldig. They have a romantic and artistic lives in pre-war Vienna and what happened over time with respect to the Nazi takeover of the wonderful city of Vienna and Slawa's original real invention of the foldable umbrella. What an interesting story. Let's listen in to a few minutes of this terrific musical, Plane in Australia. Today. That's my wish. 
Wow, that's fantastic. That's Driftwood the Musical 2023. I hope to see it next time in Australia. All of our Australian listeners, I'm sure you're going to want to go out and see it um, because it's absolutely fantastic. And you heard some of the lyrics about, you know, what our families really would care about is us staying alive. So true, not only through COVID-19, the pandemic, but also through the vaccine. And there's no doubt about it. Many of you have seen so many now public figures that have come out recently, Miss Jessica Sutta, who is one of the original Pussycat Dolls and uh, singer, actress, very talented, came out on the Epoch Times with Yanya Kellick and gave her story of just a brutal, painful, small fiber neuropathy after COVID-19 vaccination, very similar to that of Eric Clapton and so many other uh, individuals, uh, certainly in the public eye and many of you who are listening, who have uh, suffered vaccine injuries. Probably the painful neuropathy is the most frustrating vaccine injury because people look so normal on the outside, but yet feel so awful. Uh, What we call painful dysesthesias, the feeling of uh, pins and needles in the hands and the uh, feet and the arms and the legs and uh, sleeplessness ringing in the ears. These are some of the characteristic signs and symptoms. It's almost always a blend of having multiple COVID vaccine injections, but also having COVID-19, the illness, and then somehow having the illness superimposed either before and after the vaccines, uh, that amplifies it so much more than just the vaccines alone. And certainly with COVID-19, the respiratory illness, a painful neuropathy is not a prominent feature. So many updates, uh, so many things to talk about. We have a wonderful program uh, tonight and we feature uh, Dr. Craig Wax. And remember, Craig was on the McCullough Report in the past. Uh, so he's been a former guest on the show. He's a family uh, doctor in Mullica, New Jersey. And he's going to present a new bill in the state of Maryland regarding freedom of choice for COVID-19 vaccines. He's testified there uh, and he's got a lot of experience. I've also asked him to update and make a few comments regarding this small painful neuropathy and what post-vaccine injured patients can uh, look forward to, uh, what are the uh, hopeful spots with respect to medicinal therapy and the outlook. And uh, certainly here at the McCullough Report, we want to bring it all to you, keep you updated, and bring the, the, the insights to you first and very carefully and thoroughly on the McCullough Report. So let's get real. Let's get loud on America Out Loud Talk Radio. This is the McCullough Report. I'm Dr. Peter McCullough. Let me tell you, this is an innovation. The Genesis Fogger uses HOCL. This is a form of hypochlorite. This is a powerful disinfectant uh, that is tried and true. It's for sure kills SARS-CoV-2, the COVID-19 virus, but many other pathogens, including bacterial as well as uh, mycofungal pathogens, enter the Genesis Fogger. It is a powerful mister. It's a dry mist and it does cleanse the air. It does uh, have a tremendous uh, disinfectant capability for the room. It's used for industrial purposes uh, and elsewhere, but now it's brought to you in your home to better defend you against SARS-CoV-2, the virus, COVID-19, 
as well as a host of other pathogens. So if you go to uh, the uh, promotional code and enter in out loud, you can receive a discount off of your first purchase. So go to the Genesis Fogger website and take a look at it. Let's get real. Let's get loud on America Out Loud Talk Radio. Let's get real. Let's get loud on America Out Loud Talk Radio. This is a McCullough Report. And I'm Dr. Peter McCullough. It's a great pleasure to welcome back to the microphone, actually after a pretty long period of time, Dr. Craig Wax. Dr. Wax is well known to the audience. He's a big personality on social media. And I'll let him take it from here. Craig, uh, welcome to the McCullough Report. Well, thank you, Dr. McCullough. I certainly appreciate the opportunity to be back and to to speak with your uh, ever-growing audience that um, is uh, very, very smart, and they know to to question um, because science um, is all about questioning because things are never settled. They're always questionable. And if uh, you can't ask a question, it's not science. That's so true. Now, just by, by way of background, I think it's been about a year and a half, Dr. Wax, since you've been on. So just give us a quick rundown on your background and your current situation and practice. Sure. So I'm a family physician for um, for 25 years. I'm in a private solo practice in the, the Delaware Valley, um, that is to say, uh, southern New Jersey, Philadelphia area. And um I have the privilege of uh, working with a, a great, great set of patients and folks who are truly grateful and gracious and appreciative of care and our approach, which is individualized and unique in that way. Um, having said all of that, I'm a family physician. I'm a sports physician. I'm a school system physician for a local school system. Um, plus, I'm a media host uh, like yourself. Um, I had done that for more than 25 years, or 20 years, I should say. Um, and I've published for the last 20 years on uh, all things, uh, mostly uh, with regard to patient individual um, rights and uh, uniqueness of the patient-physician relationship. And thanks for the opportunity to uh, refresh that. Well, you've certainly been a, a terrific leader for the health freedom movement, and I know that uh, this uh, struck early, actually, in terms of uh, your dedication to early treatment and then fair, balanced review of efficacy and safety of the vaccines. But uh, boy, things have really gone far in terms of changes in, in policy, uh, societal views towards the vaccine just an incredibly fractured uh, geopolitical landscape with respect to uh, mandates, vaccine administration, uh, you know, perception of side effects. Give us an update in terms of what you've been doing uh, in the last uh, about 18 months or so since we visited last. Well, thank you. I appreciate um, that opportunity to, to update. And I, I think you hit the nail on the head when you had said um, uh, geopolitical. Um, unfortunately, you know, um, politics plus medicine equals politics. Politics plus your school equals politics. Politics plus your marriage equals <laughs> politics. So unfortunately, politics has seeped into everything. It has seeped into science. It's seeped into the um, patient-physician relationship, which is supposed to be sacrosanct. You know, if it happens, you know, in the exam room, there shouldn't be anybody there. But as I've written, um, many times in the last 20 years, you know, the six degrees of separation between the patient and the physician. 
But um, with specific reference to your question, you know, we've had these mRNA and DNA experimental interventions um, come to the forefront. They lifted up the uh, FDA and the, the, the CDC watches on these things and they, they brought them out. Uh, unfortunately, you know, they've caused more problems than potentially they've solved because they've never claimed to prevent infection, prevent um, spread of disease, or prevent hospitalization with randomized controlled trials, which is supposed to be the gold standard that everybody shouts about. You know, um, when we, when uh, you and I um, and others um, in the community shouted about um, uh the early treatment protocols we were using with uh, vitamins, minerals, established medications, even over-the-counter um, medications and supplements, you know, everybody's like, randomized controlled trials. Well, unfortunately, the people that <laughs> were in charge of the randomized controlled trials for the FDA and the CDC have uh, more than dropped the ball. But um, you've done such a great job at um, detailing that and allowing folks like myself to come to the forefront and um, share information with a, a public that needs information because, you know, it's it's not about, you know, a, a specific item or uh, agenda. It's, it's about understanding all the risks, benefits, and alternatives, which brings me to informed consent because over the past three years, informed consent, which you know, as, as you know, any medical intervention um, between uh, physician and patient um, has to be adhered to. I mean, malpractice can be if you don't have informed consent, if you don't tell somebody the risks, benefits, and alternatives. And the fundamentals for informed consent go back historically to Hippocrates of Kos in Greece uh, over 2,000 years ago. Um, and, and as you know, um, he systematized uh, medical treatments. He disentangled uh, religion and superstitions from medicine, and he helped physician devise methods. Um, and he even uh, wrote many textbooks with regard to that. Um, but the most important thing I think that Hippocrates did that, you know, that helped us understand was informed consent, that the patient has to understand uh, the risks, the benefits, and alternatives to any possible um, medical intervention. And that goes, you know, equally for for treatments and for even uh, protesting, you know, with regard to what the outcomes might be, what the costs involved are. Um, but having said all of that, it's especially important for experimental issues like mRNA and DNA experimentation. I mean, people should, you know, have an understanding of what the risks are, what the proposed benefits are, and what the alternatives are. And with the mRNA and DNA shots uh, starting uh, early in 2021, after the all too brief testing was uh, conducted, that um, that informed consent kind of disappeared. Um, you know, uh, pharmacists could give the shot without understanding the patient history or ever conducted a physical exam. Um, physicians uh, that were hired by um, different healthcare systems, uh, it, you know, their their very existence on the staff, and you know, their their actual livelihood was determined as to whether or not they recommended these things. So there was unfortunately a lot of undue pressure um, on physicians to give them on um, health systems to force them on a 
on a misinformed or underinformed public and um, very, very sad outcomes. I mean, we've seen time and time again, people in, uh, in the public just, uh, you know, dying suddenly, dying early, um, people in sports um, having major issues. And unfortunately, you know, I, I don't think that there's an ear listening. I don't think that there's actually, um, other than the VAERS database, which is, you know, decades old and antiquated and underestimates all of the problems, you know, uh, even that database has, you know, one, over one and a half million adverse events or, or disease or death processes that have taken place potentially because of these shots. And I think the, the tally at the end of March here is close to 40,000 deaths directly associated. And, you know, in, in the history um, of, of keeping records, you know, we've we've seen things be pulled off the shelf for for much less, much, much less. But having said um, about informed consent, that was one of my my issues um, that I think is very, very clear to people that they can understand. And when we talk about mandates, you know, mandates is is politics over science and over individual rights, which is absolutely absurd and unacceptable. But um Colleges and universities started mandating these shots in spring of 2021 with my uh, alma mater, um, Rutgers University. In fact, I spoke at the protest there with other physicians, lawyers, politicians, parents, students on May 21st of 2021 to try to eliminate the mandates. Now, you know, if somebody wants to try an experimental um, intervention and they understand risks, benefits, and alternatives, and they have some recourse under the law, um, which unfortunately the um, patients currently don't because the, um, the whole vaccine industry, big pharma, um, and all the people giving the shots are exempted, you know, by by Congress and the federal government since the 1980s. So there's really no no recourse. There's no discourse. That is to say, there's no discussion and there's no recourse. That is to say, if you're harmed or a family member dies from one of these, there's no way to go for 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 damages. But in any event, so the colleges and universities started um, in spring of 2021 with this. And um, I was uh you know, out at uh, protests, um, you know, like other physicians that weren't afraid to stand up, that weren't owned by any entity like pharma or a big hospital or a research grant from the government or something. Um, colleges like uh, Penn State never mandated, but they did have controversy in central Pennsylvania. Um, in July of uh, 2022, the Nevada Higher Education um, department um, repealed um, their mandate. So the university of um, uh, out there um, wasn't going to give them. And um, forthcoming, um, the University of Virginia, George Mason, Virginia Tech, um, Virginia Commonwealth, um, they've all lifted their mandates. In fact, it's interesting that on May 5th, 2022, there was a New York Times article, and of all entities, the New York Times, said mandates depend on political party in power. And boy, isn't that a sadness that it depends on politics as to whether 
science is adhered to and individual rights are adhered to. I mean, my body, my choice, where did that go? You know, one party says my body, my choice on one thing. And the other party said, where'd my body, my choice go with regard to the shots? And, you know, not to play party politics, but politicians like to keep everyone bickering and fighting with each other. That way we can't see what they're doing and fight with them and um, uh, elect others and make sure we have clean elections. But by the end of the year of 2022, the military mandates, which were uh, a, a disgrace and unfortunately discouraged the best and brightest and, 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 and forced uh, certain entities to leave the military, that, that was finally repealed by the full Congress and signed by the president December 23rd of 22. And shortly thereafter, the Department of Defense even rescinded their mandates. And interestingly enough, and, and this leads up to what I've been doing lately, um, I noticed on February 23rd, Columbia University, you know, even has a, a, a renowned school of physicians, finally reversed their mandate on February 23rd of 2023, um, just recently, um, in an update from the provost. In fact, when I went to research it, just to make sure that I was absolutely correct in my understanding, it wasn't even updated on the website policy for vaccines for incoming freshmen, but it was listed in the uh, update from the provost, February 23rd. So though the tide is beginning to turn quietly um, and different entities are starting to pull back their mandates, realizing, in my opinion, an understanding of the last two years of history, that these experimental interventions were, were forced on an unknowing public, have caused more harm than potential good. And finally, we're giving people the opportunity to, to opt out. And most recently, myself, I have uh, spent a little time uh, advocating in other states. Um, I, I had the privilege of being asked to advocate um, in early March for a bill called Maryland 699 or HB 699. And um, uh, I was favorable with the amendment. That is to say that I was for the Vaccination by Choice Act as amended. And if I, if I could spend a moment talking about that and perhaps sharing my um, two minute and uh, 20 second piece that I read to the legislators, would that be all right, Dr. McCullough? Yeah, that would be terrific. I mean, to summarize, summarize where we are so far, it sounds like you've made considerable progress uh, with putting pressure on various pressure points uh, and, and that the mandates are receding. There's still some in place that they're receding. Uh, quickly, before you move on to your piece, sure. what, do you, what do you think has worked? Has external pressure worked or has it simply been changes in, in, the, in the virus and the, and the pandemic, irrespective of public input? Well, you know what? Um, I would say the answer to that one on the multiple choice test is E, all of the above. So I think it has to do with the virus um, becoming um, uh, less of a burden with regard to things, because although, you know, we've seen evidence that this came out of a laboratory, it's an unnaturally modified virus, but once in nature, it acted like natural uh, viruses. That is to say that um, it 
became less and less problematic because the original alpha strain and beta strain were much more risky with regard to morbidity and mortality or disease and death, if you will, um, as opposed to the current strains. So that was one factor here. Um, another factor here was the, the, the shots didn't work. In fact, one could argue that some of the studies have shown that the more shots you got, not only did you have risk of morbidity and mortality from the shots, but you were more likely to get the virus again and again. So, uh, you know, so that I think has a has a part to play here. I think internal pressure from from students, from faculty, from employees of the universities, you know, wanting their civil and individual rights back of uh, informed consent, as we had discussed. I think that had something to do. And external pressure also from groups also had something to do with it. And sad to say, um, politics has uh, something to do with it, like with the election of um, certain politicians, like in the in the state of Virginia, when that when the governor changed, the uh, the prevailing winds of of mandate changed for for the favorable. So, Craig, how does this work? I I, I still don't understand. It, it seems like the most liberal, um, you know, parts of uh, of the of the political landscape, uh, instead of my body, my choice, and personal freedom. They seem to be the most hawkish on uh, restricting civil liberties and um, mandating vaccines, linking it to employment in school. And then the more conservative parts, so the right wing parts that were always about you, you know law and order and and uh, big uh, business <laughs> yeah big business yeah. they seem to be much more for civil liberties. It's just um you know any commentary there? Yeah, so it, it is interesting. And, you know, I don't want to stray into the, the political forest and weeds because all of what you and I do every day transcends all of that. And it is far, far um, more basic yet um, more far reaching than than all of that. Um, I think finally there are there are people that are recognizing and some even in leadership, which is fortunate to some degree, that um, everybody must have their individual rights maintained. I mean, you know, if you look at the history of the American Civil Liberties Union and marches for freedom and, you know, all that's that's gone on, there's been a lot of reversals. And it's interesting to note that whenever politics gets involved with with a science or a methodology or even language, it, it can be changed and bastardized. And, you know, the meanings even even have changed. And, you know, the bigger you look at it, the, the worse it gets, because, you, you know, you tend to wonder, um, you know, is this just you know, in my town? Is this just in my county? Is this just in my state? Is this just in my country? Is this just in my hemisphere? Is this, or is this just, you know, um, a, a planetary thing with regard to humans seeking power over other humans? And, you know, as I said, I'm not going to going to stray into to, to the, that, that wilderness because it's uh, <laughs> hard to survive up there. The oxygen's rather thin, wouldn't you say? It's true, um, I, and I guess this is probably the first time in our 
careers where politics uh, and medicine became so entwined. I mean, there's always been debates about, you know, heart disease, cholesterol lowering, back surgery. Uh, you know, we've had our debates over the course of time. Uh, but here, th there seemed like from the very beginning, there never was really any debate or discussion on treatment or for the vaccines in that matter. It just seems like there was no opportunity for interchange. From the well, Dr. McCullough, you're you're a hundred percent right. Um, from the get go, um, I, I would say uh, as of mid 2019, there was a lot of pull, um, almost a polar pull away from science, medicine, conventional values that had come over time and decayed all of everybody's, you know, truths and facts and those kinds of things that they've lived by. And, and all of a sudden, all of that was deteriorating. And the fear came into play, potentially for entities to get more power. Uh, and, and science was, was shelved, and civil rights were shelved, and individual rights were shelved. And, and now we've got a go back and find where they were shelved <laughs> because you know that that's a basic truth of of human existence you know everybody should have the right of what they put you know in in their own bodies or do for themselves and you know when it comes to public health you know um i think you know what hippocrates said you know um primum non nocera you know do no harm first do no harm and uh, the first rule of politics is to ignore the first rule of medicine. It's true. And has there been any uh, fair updating on the consent form now to list the, the, the known fatal side effects like myocarditis, pulmonary embolism, intracranial hemorrhage? Yeah, you know, it's, it's interesting that you say that. And um, I know you have done um, testimony at various um, state legislatures and even um, before Congress on the federal level. And the package inserts, to my knowledge, still remain blank. And, and I don't know how you can have a product and it enjoys the benefits of being experimental, yet is forced on people without informed consent and there's no one with liability and potentially it's added to the the children's vaccine schedule it's 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 mind-boggling the, the the whole thing and and i think we all need to rub our eyes and 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 focus on what we're seeing what we're hearing what we're experiencing use various different data sources um, and our own senses to decide what's real here because what's coming at us day after day after day through the media and from government entities that used to be trusted are, are, are complete and utter nonsense. Yeah, I tell you what, I think we're um, resonating with a lot of our viewers. We've been talking to Dr. Craig Wax from Mullica, New Jersey, been a real freedom fighter for the last three years. Uh, we're going to take a pause here and come back on the other side, continue our discussion with Dr. Craig Wax. You're listening to The McCullough Report. Let's get real. Let's get loud on America Loud Talk Radio. This is The McCullough Report.
AmericaOutloud.com. If you can't find it here, you can't find it anywhere. We are the pulse and voice of everyday American thought, working hard to earn your trust for seven incredible years and counting. America Out Loud Talk Radio, the liberty and justice for all. I'm Dr. Peter McCullough. Let me tell you, this is an innovation. The Genesis Fogger uses HOCL. This is a form of hypochlorite. This is a powerful disinfectant uh, that is tried and true. It's for sure kills SARS-CoV-2, the COVID-19 virus, but many other pathogens, including bacterial as well as uh, mycofungal pathogens, enter the Genesis Fogger. It is a powerful mister. It's a dry mist and it does cleanse the air. It does uh, have a tremendous uh, disinfectant capability for the room. It's used for industrial purposes uh, and elsewhere, but now it's brought to you in your home to better defend you against SARS-CoV-2, the virus, COVID-19, as well as a host of other pathogens. So if you go to uh, the uh, promotional code and enter in out loud, you can receive a discount off of your first purchase. So go to the Genesis Fogger website and take a look at it. Let's get real. Let's get loud on America Out Loud Talk Radio. Let's get real. Let's get loud on America Out Loud Talk Radio. This is a McCullough Report. We've been talking to Dr. Craig Wax, who's been basically just cutting a broad swath through the government propaganda that we've heard about the COVID-19 vaccines uh, and pandemic response. Craig, give us um, uh, some focused update on your recent testimony and some of the key things that you were able to get across. Oh, that's a a great opportunity. Thank you for allowing me to share that. Um, You know, I had a a parents group approach me um, about a a Maryland bill, HB 699, and this was um, in early March. And the bill basically is the Vaccination by Choice Act, and it would potentially exempt all state employees in Maryland from any mandates or being forced to take the mRNA DNA shots, either initial series or follow-up shots. And the parents group got involved because they found a, um, a legislator who was willing to put an amendment on the table to not only, um, take out mandates for all state employees, including the, you know, university of Maryland public college um, employees and staff, but also for the college students, which uh, I think is an invaluable addition because, you know, we had talked about, you know, the mRNA shots, um, you know, not being effective and potentially being harmful, just to be simple. Um, so I had the privilege of speaking and there were more than a dozen others. There were physicians, there were lawyers, there were parents, there were students, um, all speaking, and we all had all of two minutes to deliver our best and to uh, incorporate by reference some other things. So if I, if I could share that with you, it's kind of an encapsulated version of something, um, if, if that would be all right and appropriate here, Dr. McCullough. Yes, go for it. 
Okay. Thank you for allowing me to speak in favor of HB 699 here in Maryland, the Vaccination by Choice Act as amended. I am a father, husband, family physician, school physician, media host, and have experience with health policy and its outcomes. In the United States, our system rests on the rights of the individual. We don't force medical or other bodily interventions. No one, no politician, no news media entity, and no billboard should stand in the way of the patient-physician relationship. It is a physician's job to know the history, preferences, and medical needs of each individual patient. Informed consent is the discussion and acceptance or rejection of the risks, benefits, and alternatives to any medical procedure. It has always been and always will be critical for patients to take ownership of their own bodies using their own unique value systems, not legislated or mandated herd mentality. Even the fact sheets for the COVID mRNA DNA interventions say, quote, it is your choice to receive or not receive any of these vaccines, close quote. As of February 17th, 2023, there have been more than 1.5 million adverse events reported to VAERS, the Vaccine Adverse Event Reporting System, for all three COVID mRNA and DNA interventions. This includes 35,000 deaths, 18,000 heart attacks, and 26,000 cases of myocarditis and pericarditis, and a multitude of other lifetime disease states. Shouldn't participation be optional at best, or even removed from the market as harm outweighs the benefits? There are more deaths and adverse events caused by these three interventions than all three vaccines, excuse me, all other vaccines over 40 years combined. On the home front, mothers teach their children, you don't put anything in your body that doesn't belong there and don't let anyone bully you into it. That goes across the board from the government entities to schools. Ask yourselves, should Maryland schools actively discriminate against students based on vaccine status? I ask that all here prioritize individual rights, unique needs, and informed consent in your deliberation and approach. I implore you to support Maryland HB 699 as amended, the Vaccine by Choice Act, including all level school students to prohibit extortion by mandates, Mandates are unconstitutional, un-American, and un-Terrapin, which I was referring to the mascot of uh, the U of M at that point. Um, and I incorporated by reference a few important things. Um, the AAPS, the Association of American Physicians and Surgeons, excuse me, Surgeons statement calling for a moratorium on vaccine mandates from 2000, actually. My article titled Informed Consent and COVID-19 published in Physician's Outlook Journal, the FDA Pfizer fact sheet, the FDA Moderna fact sheet, the FDA Janssen Johnson & Johnson fact sheet, and the VAERS COVID vaccine report as of February 17, 2023. And I think that sums it up in just under three minutes. Um, and if every person listening out there could go to their state legislators, not even their Congress people, their state legislators, people that they should be having touch with on a regular basis and say, we, the citizens, the voters, the taxpayers demand that we have choices here and we need this bill drawn up. And if you wanna use uh, Maryland HB 699 as a, as a potential template, 
Um, I know there's other templates in other states. Um, that would be huge and critical because trying to change the Fed all at once is 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 a huge heavy lift, and we all can't wait for Atlas to shrug. But in your own states, in your own vicinities, at your own schools, you can make a difference. And I challenge everyone listening to this broadcast to make a difference. And Dr. McCullough, if you're millions of listeners all over the country and even the world, each one takes the step tomorrow, all this will end. That's so true, Craig. Um, what, um... What percent of colleges and universities would you say now still have uh, vaccine mandates? And yeah, any guess? yeah, it's it's a good question. I don't have the exact data, but but it's a surprising large number still have them, um, and they're only peeling them back one by one quietly, as I said, because it depends on the politics of your region. Like here in the Northeast, in New York, in um, Pennsylvania, in New Jersey, you know, um, even in, in Delaware, you know, the prevailing winds are like California and Chicago, uh, Illinois, you know, um, and unfortunately, the government has seen fit to mandate. But as I said, you know, we all need to demand our rights back. And there's no, you know, um, uh, supposed white knight in shining armor on a white horse to come save us. You know, there's, 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 there's not, there's not that. We are all that knight. We are all that, that person to to rescue ourselves, our families, and our communities. Go to your school board meetings. You know, um, make yourself known and heard respectfully, of course. That's so true, uh, uh, Craig. You, you'll probably get a chuckle out of this, but. The American Board of Internal Medicine uh, reached out to me for board questions, which I've uh, in the past done based on my prior re research on heart and kidney disease. But this year I submitted a request to do um, questions on COVID-19 vaccine injuries. And, wow. um, you know, it's not that I expect the American Board to, you know, fully recognize these injuries are occurring, but I want them to actually see that in the pile of information that comes in the same uh, in reviewing manuscripts, I review manuscripts, and and I will, uh, you know, make sure that the authors, you know, are aware that in fact, vaccine injuries are occurring. Most most manuscripts start out with some type of, uh, you know, some type of extolling the virtue of the vaccines. They'll say, well, the vaccines have saved millions of people, and now we're going to talk about this. And, and so I, you know, immediately uh, come back and, and say, listen, it's been a debacle. And we should start out the papers like this. So we'll have to see where this goes, but certainly it's encouraging you've made progress. Any commentary about the colleges, for instance, Harvard, which is mandating the boosters on the students, but not for the faculty? You know what? There's, it's, it's just incredibly discriminatory. You know, um, when everybody talks about discrimination by this and discrimination by that, and everybody's being discriminated against, yada, yada, yada. Under under what flag should we be discriminating against people based on vaccine status? There's 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 really no public health precedent for a vaccine that a can cause harm and b doesn't accomplish stated goals. There's just no precedent for it. 
And uh, there'll be no precedent for forcing a vaccine on students where if there would be theoretically an at-risk group, it would be the older faculty. I mean, right, absolutely. And, yeah. and, and we all know that the young, um, in fact, the older we get, the, 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 the better, stronger, faster the young get. Um, and we all know that because of, you know, their immune cells being younger, um, uh, more nimble and, and more available, like T cells, you know, thymus cells, things like that, um, are very, very important to, to immunity. And, and, and uh, seniors, like you were saying, and those who are infirmed and with, um, you know, different illnesses are much more likely to have problems. So it, it's in, incredible and it defies, well, it defies credibility, I should say, for anyone to say that young people should have these and to put them on the vaccine schedule as an experiment just to continue to remove any possible liability from the manufacturers, it's 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 ghastly. I mean, I don't I don't even have proper words to describe the impropriety that goes on. Uh, Craig, what you know, you're in family practice, putting these on the vaccine schedule, COVID 19s on the ACDC ACIP routine childhood vaccine schedule. What has that done? in your daily office communication with parents and about vaccines in general and children? Well, it's, it's great that you bring that up because um, it's driven a lot of patients to me. I mean, there's um, a, a big group, I, I won't mention their name, but they're multi-state and you know thousands and thousands of physicians um, that are pediatricians in a huge network. And they basically came up 20 some years ago in order to fight with insurance and try to get proper care for for patients and pediatricians and their families and I mean for pediatric patients and their families having said all of that you know they've become somewhat of a business and you know they actually you know make some of their overhead by giving vaccines so it's kind of uh, convenient for them to go along with all of this and when a conventional flu shot you know you have to buy you know, and you have to resell to the insurance company for at least the same amount that you paid for it, right? To to keep your overhead if you're running a business, um, and then you get a twenty dollar um, vaccination administration fee that helps you pay the staff in order to be able to give the shots. Blah blah. Uh, the mRNA and DNA shots, when it comes to doctors' offices, when it comes to hospital health systems, when it comes to corporate pharmacies, um, they get the mRNA shots for for free to them anyway, taxpayers pay for it. So there's no risk or investment on their part. And they get paid a standard $40 shot fee. So if you think of it as a business model, which shot would you give all day long, all things being equal? Of course, they're not. But if they were, you would give the $40 shot, not the $20 shot with all the risks. So you know, financial risk, that is. So the issue that we're having now to get back to your question is, you know, there's a whole fee schedule. I mean, we've, you know, we started out 50 years ago with maybe a dozen shots. And now, you know, we're, gosh, I think north of, of 70 um, with regard to, to to childhood by age 18. And that's a lot of immune challenge. And you know, when you look back at the research that was done, you wonder, you know, has all the research not only have been done on each individual product, 
but the combinations that have been made and given on the same day. I mean, when you're getting five and seven shots or combinations of shots in the same day, you know, was the safety done? And I'm I'm beginning to question, was that done? But and parents are too. And and the sad part about all this is, is now that these mRNA and DNA experiments are being forced, parents are opting out of all shots altogether because you know, these were interventions. These were genetic interventions. These were never traditional vaccines. They were never, never, never that. And they changed the definition twice in order to accommodate and to make it sound more commonplace. Well, you're getting a shot, you're getting a vaccine, you're getting a booster. That all sounds very, very commonplace. And like it's happened for decades and years and years and years. But having said all of that, Dr. McCullough, um, the very thought that these experiments that are potentially dangerous and not a positive thing have been lumped in with everything else um, kind of destroys all of ACIP, um, the CDC, um, pediatricians, the hospital health systems, government entities. It's destroyed patients' confidence in all of these systems that have always been the standards of health, not only in our country, but the world. Do you think we've come to a breaking point now on the routine vaccine schedule, meaning that, you know, there are so many vaccines, as you mentioned, I think over 100 injections now um, through age 18, multiple combination injections. Are, are we at a breaking point? Are we just asking the human immune system to, to do too much? Yeah, I, I think we are because the, the, current, the current injections alone, in and of themselves, these three mRNA and DNA shots um, have, have not only asked the immune system to do too much, but to do things that are unnatural and to physically be instructed without end, potentially, to, to make toxic spike proteins. And and we don't know what the end point is of all of that. I mean, you know, they said, well, you know, these shots are just temporary. They, they last for like 28 seconds and they're naturally destroyed like all other mRNA, but they're pseudouridinated. They're not natural mRNA. And they last for up to 28 days or more. And we don't know who makes more of this of the toxic spike proteins. And so when you add that to all of the other shots calling on the immune system to do different things in different and more subtle ways, uh, human immunity, in my opinion, um, can't last and can't effectively function. And I've seen in my office and with the physicians I speak with on a weekly basis across the country and across the world, We've seen increases in cardiovascular disease, neurologic disease. We've seen pain syndromes. We've seen recurrent cancers. We've seen new cancers. It's, it's just, it's, it's appalling all that we've seen that we haven't said, whoa, stop. We need to stop these immediately. We need to put everything on hiatus and re-examine our position. I, I see a lot of people moving to much more natural approaches. Um, I'm a little bit worried about a, a withdrawal from pharmaceuticals to such an extreme where we end up, you know, losing progress against hypertension and atherosclerotic cardiovascular disease and diabetes. But it's clear 
Dr. Wack's patients, I, I think, have had enough. They want natural solutions. I think they're likely to are going to go natural with respect to the childhood vaccine schedule or a potentially targeted. Um, I think that's going to happen. Uh, any uh, updates from your practice in terms of strategies to help patients get over these vaccine injury syndromes? Let's just take small fiber neuropathy, fatigue, and you know the common post-vaccination syndrome. Yeah, so um, I'm glad you bring that up because, you know, many people feel like, as Tom Lehrer said in 1959, the uh, uh, Harvard mathematician gone humorist, um, he said many people are feeling currently like a Christian scientist with appendicitis. (laughs) That is to say that all you have is prayer. Having said all of that, um, I, I think that there's a lot of opportunities for using anti-inflammatories like uh, you and I and other um, independently thinking physicians have used um, against the COVID virus itself. Um, you know, we've got, of course, steroids. We've got aspirin um, as an anticoagulant plus novel anticoagulants as well. We've also got hydroxychloroquine, which is a great anti-inflammatory. And you know, um, ivermectin has been used uh, with some success in this um, realm. Plus, there's also been um, azithromycin and doxycycline. Now, most people say, hey, aren't those antibiotics? You know, you can't fight a virus or a, or a pain syndrome or a neuropathy with that. Well, yeah, that's true. But um, they also have anti-inflammatory properties, and we've used those products. I mean, doxycycline, for example, can be used for um, rosacea, which is uh, an, an inflammatory condition of the blood vessels in the skin. So, um, um, and epididymitis, which is also an inflammation. So, um, they can be used for, for that. Plus, there's many other things, of course, you know, we always emphasize good vegetable-based nutrition, um, hydration, exercise, um, you know, quality organic foodstuffs when possible, avoidance of toxins and poisons. You know, it, 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 it always um, amazes me when, when someone is, you know, smoking and taking in, you know, um, carbon monoxide and uh, um, 250 other known uh, poisons and carcinogens, and they say, well, you know, how can how can I avoid, uh, you know, um, this problem? And I'm like, well, <laughs> you know, you've got to take a, a global look at what you're doing locally if you think about it in that in that context. So um, I think there's a lot of opportunities. In fact, there's a drug um, I've used with a lot of success. Um, some have uh, have used it otherwise. They've used Neurontin, which is gabapentin, but I've also used um, pregabalin, which is Lyrica. Um, you know, it's been used for other neurologic um, injuries and painful pain syndromes, which has worked. Also, um, certain antidepressants have some anti-pain possibilities as well. You know, there's SNRIs, that is to say, um, serotonin and norepinephrine reuptake inhibiting medications uh, can be used uh, for these chronic pain things. Plus, you know, they may have some antidepressant effects because having chronic pain um, that, that's cropped up because you took two shots because you were forced to for your work or your school, um, it, it's pretty depressing for sure. So I think it's important to 
to find a physician that's independently thinking and potentially, you know, and, and pay them directly. And I'm not saying that for a profit motive here. I'm saying that when a physician works directly for you, you're the boss. When a physician works for an insurance company, the insurance company is the boss. When insurance, when a, when a physician takes a government program like Medicare, or Medicaid, or military something, they work for the government then. So, and if they're also employed by a large health system, well, the large health system is paying the freight. It's not, it's not you. So I think it's important to engage your physicians as directly as possible. And I think that's the way through the physician or the patient-physician relationship that we're all going to come out of this better than before. Well, Craig, we're going to have to let that be the last word, a hopeful word uh, from Dr. Craig Wax, uh, family physician, Malika, New Jersey. Dr. Wax, thank you so much for joining us on the McCullough Report. My privilege, Dr. McCullough. Best health to you and all of your listeners out there. Keep thinking independently, acting in your and act independently for your family, your community, and yourself. Let's get real. Let's get loud on America Out Loud Talk Radio. This is a McCullough Report. Mm-hmm.